Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the youth director here at Sardis Fellowship. This week, Pastor Rod is starting a new series called Family Matters. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! So we're going to be starting a new sermon series today called Family Matters. If you've been with us, you know that we went through the Gospel of John in, from September all through the fall and then again in the new year. And uh, this family, I mean, this ser- uh, sermon series is going to focus on the family, and I've titled it Family Matters because of what might be obvious, which is the double meaning to the word matters. Because family matters as in family is important, right? And family matters as in families have challenges and issues, right? So family matters, and it can, can kind of be understood in those two different ways. But then I've kind of got this little tagline there too, bringing my best. And that's because after each of the messages, I really want us all to evaluate, how am I doing? What's my part in this? And am I actually bringing my best to my family? Now, back in the 90s, there was this TV show called Family Matters. And um, the star of the show, his name was Urkel. There we go. Thank you. Family Matters. And there's this uh, little description that was in an article trying to describe what the show is about. And it says this. Family Matters is about a policeman named Carl Winslow who has enough to deal with on the job. But when he gets home, he still has to handle his kids, his wife, his mom, a sister-in-law, and Urkel, the kid next door who doesn't seem to understand that he doesn't actually live with the Winslows. Family. We all have one, whether you like it or not. Sorry, folks, for some reason my clicker is not working, so I might rely on you, uh, Matt. Um, Family, we all have one, whether we like it or not, but um, they don't all look the same. And I think that's what's important to understand, is not all of us have had the same experience with our families. Uh, Some of you might have actually inherited the kid next door. And I don't know what your family looks like, and I don't know if your biological family is even still alive or even still together. I don't know if your family upbringing was a healthy one or if it was a negative, an unhealthy one, if you have positive thoughts related to your family or negative thoughts. But we all have experienced family in some way, shape, or form. It may be that you grew up with what we would call a nuclear family where you have a mom and a dad and kids. Um, It might be that you were in a single-parent family. You could have been adopted in an adopted family or a blended family or a foster family or what is becoming more common today, the grandparenting family where grandparents are raising their grandkids. Your family may not look like my family, but you have a family and even if your biological family is not around you, you still have extended family and you have friends who you would consider family and don't forget, you have your church family, the family of God. We have a context, each of us, and God has something to say to us over the course of the next number of weeks as we look at the family. But before I dig into that, I want us to look a little bit more at this idea that we call family and understand it a little better. Uh, Our English word family comes from a Latin word called familia. And in the original context of the word familia, it included not only your immediate biological family, but also your relatives and even your servants if you had servants in your household. And so the word household might be a part of your understanding of who was in your family. Um, We don't typically talk about our household necessarily today, which would include people beyond uh, the ones that live closest to us, but it actually works as well. It works to help us understand that family does go beyond just a biological structure. You'd think that it might be pretty easy to come up with a definition, at least a simple definition, for the family. But I kind of found it hard to articulate one. 
I started this week, and I started doing it something like this, where I put, a family is when you have a mom and a dad and some kids. And then I was thinking, well, but what if you don't have a mom? Is it still a family? Yes. What if you don't have a dad? Is it still a family? Yes. What if you don't have kids? Is it still a family? Yes. And so even a simple definition is kind of hard to come up with. I read a number of uh, definitions in the dictionaries trying to figure out what, what does our broader culture, how do they define a family? Uh, it was interesting to note that they actually wrestled with some of the things that I was wrestling with. So you're, you're trying to come up with whatever the structure is that we would say this is the normative family. However, we realize it's not normative for everyone. And so I found in uh, the Merriam-Webster dictionary that he starts off, or they start off by saying the basic unit, family is, the basic unit in society traditionally considering traditionally consisting of two parents rearing their children. But you'll notice that quickly, they put the also. Any of various social units differing from, but regarded as equivalent to the traditional family. So they're, they're trying to say, well, we typically think of family like this. However, we recognize the fact that family goes beyond that. And with each of the definitions that I looked at, uh, it became more evident that they were trying to find their way of explaining family. So this is the Encyclopedia Britannica, a group of persons united by the ties of marriage, blood, or adoption consisting, constituting, I'm sorry, I'm kind of struggling to read my screen, maybe I should read my notes, constituting a single household and interacting with each other in their respective social positions, usually those of spouse, parents, children, and siblings. I mean, you almost need a degree just to figure out what exactly are they trying to refer to here, right? But what I'm trying to get at is everyone is struggling to try to figure out how do we define family by, by the terms we use. Sometimes we exclude what family is for people, and we don't want to do that. Family matters. I'll go to the next one, please. I think, generally speaking, we would say that family is good. I think that even our culture would say, yeah, it's important. Um, it's interesting to note how many TV shows there are that... Um, are about the family. Like the family is the star of the show, so to speak. And I was, not that all of these ones, by the way, share the values that God would say are the values that a family should have. A lot of them actually do the opposite of that. But a lot of them do try to uphold what we would call family values. And I was just kind of thinking through the years, my own experience, dating way back, over the last 50 years, what are the kinds of family shows where the family is the star of the show? And so here's uh, some of them. The Waltons. Remember John Boy and Mary Ellen? And if you do, you're old. <laughs> I Love Lucy, the Ricardos, all in the family. Well, we'll let that go. Leave it to Beaver, Little House on the Prairie, The Brady Bunch, Eight is Enough, The Partridge Family, Sanford and Sons, Sanford and Sons, uh, Family Ties, The Jeffersons, Growing Pains, Full House, The Cosby Show, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Home Improvement, The Gilmore Girls, yeah, my daughter watched that. I got included. The Flintstones, the Jetsons, the Simpsons, Frasier, Good Luck Charlie, and to top the charts of all of them, with the most dramatic, heart-tugging family of them all, drum roll please, this is us. Will Kevin and Randall ever see eye to eye? Will Kate truly be the glue that holds her family together? I don't know. I have not watched season six, so I'm not trying to, you know, no spoiler alert here. I'm not planning to. And then again, let's not forget Dallas and Falcon Crest back from the 80s. <clears throat> Terrible stuff. I think that it would be fair to say this, that by nature of the volume of shows around family, it's significant in our culture. 
whether or not they uphold the values we uphold, they would say that this is important for us. One of the taglines, actually, for one of these shows was, we put the fun back into dysfunctional. <laughs> Talking about their family. I know, pretty pathetic, right? But on the other hand, it makes you laugh. Um, and when I thought about it, I thought, you know what? Aren't all our families dysfunctional? And maybe we're just not honest enough with what we think is normal. Might be normal to us, but there's a level of dysfunction that is there. And maybe it's good to stop for a moment and just laugh at ourselves. I remember a few times I've been at a Heppel get-together, and I looked at all of us, and I thought to myself, and we think we're normal. <laughs> but I'm going to guess that you think that family matters too, that it's important, and that you want to bring your best to your family. And that if you could be a part of a family where love is present, where people in your family actually have affection and care for one another, that you would be all in for that. So the first point that I want to make is family matters because God is good. Therefore, family is good. God has a plan for family. And the plan is good. It's not bad. It's, it's, but it doesn't always work, right? It's kind of like the roundabouts. You know, roundabouts are good. They work. But they only really work if you understand how they work, and then you actually obey the rules of how they work. <laughs> I know I'm going to get emails on that this week. Roundabouts are not good. First, it matters because it's God's idea. He established the family, and it's his plan for the family. And there's good things that he wants to accomplish through the family. In fact, the first definition I read for you in the Merriam-Webster definition said that it is the basic unit of society. And you know what they're trying to get at there? They're trying to get at the fact that it's the core building block of society. You need families in order to build society. As Pope John Paul II is quoted as of having said, as the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. So putting it together that as the direction of the family goes, so goes the nation itself. God's plan for family is good. And uh, Genesis 2 would probably be the starting point that we would reference for understanding his design for family. And in there, we're going to read this passage. Um, you know, God created everything and he called it good. But when he created man and woman, male and female, he, he said it's very good. When he brought Adam, the man, brought Eve, the woman, to him as a gift, this was something that was special. This was something that was completing. This was something where there was a counterpart, the same but different. And God performed that first wedding, and they become one flesh, and together they formed a family unit. And to this family of a husband and a wife, they added children, Cain and Abel and others, right? The day that you get married, you're a family, with or without your kids. Remember that. Kids are always welcome members in your family, but you were there first, I'll let that just sink in as you parent your children. They're welcome in your family, but make sure they know that you are the parents and God has given you authority in your home to lead your family. Lead your family. Do it well. Genesis 2, the story goes like this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. My Old Testament biblical prof dedicated that verse to me when I was in my final year at Briarcrest. I was amongst a bunch of married students. I was the only single guy in the class. He said, Rod, I have a verse I'm going to dedicate to you today. 
Genesis 2.18. Thank you very much. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the living, all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. God gives Adam a wife, and Adam writes a poem. I think that's pretty good. I think all of us on the day we get married should write a poem to our wife. Adam wrote a poem. God gives him a bride. If God has given you a bride, maybe it's time to write her a poem. I tried. It wasn't very good. But the key part I want to focus on is verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Because in there, I think, in that one small statement, we have some significant elements of God's plan for family. The couple is to leave their parents, their family of origin, because they are united to each other. Notice, it's two people in this marriage relationship. It is an exclusive relationship with God in the middle of it. And they form something that is new, a family A family unit is established in that moment. And they now do life together, independent of their parents. Yes, we will always love and honor our parents. That's a biblical principle. And you will have your parents as support in your life. But you need to understand that on the day that you stand and give your word to each other and you leave your family and you're united to each other and you start your own family, you are something new. You're a new family. The acorn becomes a tree The calf is weaned off its mother. The bird is pushed out of the nest. And a couple who gets married leaves their parents and becomes a family. This is God's plan for us, and it's good. It is part of how life works. It's how society is built, and it's God's idea. If anyone wants to credit this is a good thing, God is the one to get the credit for that. It's in the family that we learn a few things. We learn how to mature. We learn how to grow, and we learn how to become ready to be a part of society. Um, A family is a place of love and security, a safe place where each person knows they belong. And this is important, because if we don't know that we have a safe place where we belong, how are we ever going to fit into other parts of society if we first haven't fit within our own home? Secondly, a family is a place to learn about God. It's a place where faith is passed on. It is a place where values are understood that reflect God's character and nature, and therefore my character is being shaped by those values in my home. Things like honesty and integrity and responsibility and equality for all people and love and compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. These are the things that God intends to be good coming out of our families. It's a place where we also learn to laugh, and that's important too. It's a place where we also learn to work, and that's important too. It's a place where we also learn to play, but kids typically get that one naturally. They don't need to be taught that. Unless, of course, you grew up on a farm like me, then you don't even know what it meant. (laughs) 
It's true, man. My parents would have been thrown in jail if they were raising us today. I'm just having fun with it, but when you're five years old driving a tractor with 10 ton of potatoes on the back, you know, is this really a good idea? It's okay, son. When you'll just put it in low gear and let it crawl. You'll be fine. You can play later, I hope. A family is a place for 18 years where you learn to become a contributing member in society. You have 18 years to learn the ropes before you set sail. At least that's the plan, right? By the way, some of you parents, you need to start doing some math um, because I referenced the number 18, and sometimes we think that's a long time, but 18 years is also a short time. So here's the math. Uh, If you have a nine-year-old kid, 18 minus nine, well, you're halfway there. Half your job is done. If you have a teenager who's 13, You might want them out of the house already, but no, not yet, okay. You have five years left. Five years. And if you have an 18-year-old that's graduating this year and heading off to college in September, I got news for you. The clock is ticking. There is work to be done. Our oldest son, Ryan, when he graduated, he was 17 years old. He went off to college in Saskatchewan. He turned 18 on his birthday when he arrived there to go to school. After 4.5 years of him studying and getting his degree, he meets a girl from Saskatchewan. This is always the risk, folks. Don't send them to Cape and Rain, Australia. Just talk to Matt and Carolyn. <laughs> he decides that he's going to go back and work in Saskatchewan because he's dating this girl. And about a year later, they're married and now he lives in Saskatchewan. Why do I tell you this? I tell you this because some of you as parents need to really be honest with yourselves and realize you got to do some math. You got to do some math. Am I bringing my best to my family? While God's plan for marriage and family is good, it doesn't take long if we look at that initial family of Adam and Eve to realize things derailed pretty quickly. Cain gets angry at his brother Abel and kills him. Okay, that's a disaster. That is a dysfunctional family. Uh, This brings me to my second point that I would like to make here, and that is that um, God is a redemptive God. So in our brokenness, because families are broken, families are messy, people are messy, we don't always do the things we're supposed to do, right? And when that happens, we end up with these situations that are exceedingly difficult, and we can lose hope, and we can feel like the whole situation is just hopeless and pointless. And that's not where we want to be, because God is a redemptive God. Doing family is hard, and it does lead to a lot of unforeseen and unwanted situations and circumstances. And I know that a lot of you are living through those right now. But remember that God is a redemptive God, and he can breathe hope and life into that situation. But it requires a lens of faith. And it's not easy. I hope this isn't coming across sounding like it's a platitude. I do not want to speak platitudes. But God is a living God, and he knows of your situation. Therefore, he can speak into your life, and he can speak through your life. He can bring you hope, and he can bring you healing. When families go well, we call it good, and we give thanks for it. But when things go sideways, when things go wrong, we cling to the promises of God and we seek his face because only he is the one who can redeem that which has been lost. We need to trust in God because he is the God of the impossible. Do not lose hope. I want to give you... um, A psalm, if you're a person today who feels like, man, Rod, I'm in one of those situations. I may or may not know your situation, but if it is an exceedingly difficult situation where it feels hopeless, I want to give you Psalm 30. I want to read it for us. 
Out of the depths I cried to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman wait more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And I think what we can understand from this psalm, if God gives this promise to the nation of Israel, then those of us who are in Christ can be assured of the fact that God is for us, that his desire is for us. So I encourage you to take that passage of scripture, to pray it to God in your given situation. If you were to look at the Bible stories of families, you would be hard-pressed to find the model that you should actually follow. I've already referenced Cain and Abel at the beginning. We could go to Abraham, who thought it was a good idea to take his wife's maidservant, Hagar, and have a baby through her. Absolute disaster, created lots of problems. Um, Jacob, the grandson to Abraham, ended up with a very multi-blended family that created all sorts of discord within the family, civil rivalries, um, jealousy, to the point where they take their younger brother Joseph and throw him in a pit and sell him off into slavery into Egypt. And then they go ahead and devise a plan to deceive their father to make him think that the son was dead. That's not a very good family model, so don't, don't track that one, Okay. We could keep going. I mean, there's Eli, who's the priest in Israel, and it says of his sons that they were wicked. And then Samuel comes along after him, and his sons didn't fare much better. And then you get to King David, who was like this prominent king in Israel, who had a heart for God, and the one that God loved, and all this good stuff said about David. And you go read the story, and you go, what? Um, He had sons that killed each other. There's incest. Um, It's a mess. It's a mess. And then you get to the lineage of Jesus and you read through who were his ancestors that came up to being his parents. David was in there. All of these ones I've referenced, most of them are in there. But on top of all of that, in Jesus' lineage, you have adultery, prostitution, incest, deceit, polygamy, family splits, murder, and yet through that line comes the Son of God. That speaks to the redemptive nature of God. It speaks to the fact that God can redeem what is lost. Even Jesus' family. Have you ever read the New Testament? There's a few verses in there that indicate his brothers mocked him. Have you ever read those ones? They made fun of him. They didn't believe in him ahead of time. After the resurrection they did, Jesus' half-brother James wrote the gospel, I mean the letter of James. Half-brother. Did Jesus come from a blended family? You know, the Pharisees made fun of him. In John chapter 8, they mock him about his legitimacy as a child. I don't know what your family situation is, but if it's in the category of broken, if it's in the category of messed and hard, know this, that God is a God of redemption, that God wants to work in and through you. A verse that I've often appreciated is 2 Peter 3.9 that says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what God can do. 
Family matters because God is good and his plan is good. Family matters, as in the matters of family that devastate our plans. God is redemptive. And the last point I want to make in this one, there, thank you, is that because of these family matters that devastate us, I want you to remember that you are part of the family of God, that not everything rests upon your biological family. God has something for us called the family of God, and it's there to help us meet where the gaps are. This can't be systematized. I can't tell you how it's going to happen outside a relationship of people knowing each other and caring for each other. Part of the role of what Alex is doing is to try to help in that. The family of God is to be there to care for one another. This last Christmas, on Christmas Eve, I don't know if you remember, but we had had an ice storm that day, and we weren't sure if we are going to have a service that night. And we did, and we gathered, and this one gentleman was there. He's a single man. And, uh, and he didn't have a ride, and it was icy roads. And I went up to him afterwards. I said, I'm so glad you could spend Christmas Eve here with your church family. How did you get here? And he said, oh, I wasn't going to come because of the slippery roads. But someone in the congregation called me and asked, would you like to go tonight? I wish he wanted to come. And that person went by their house and picked them up and brought them here and took them home again so that that person would not be alone on Christmas Eve. That's the family of God. And that's one story of hundreds that happened, thousands even, throughout the course of a year. It's what VBS Soccer Camp is all about. It's about being there as a family of God to step into the gaps and to help one another. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And note this next word, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Why? Because God has placed us together. And so my encouragement to you is if you're one of those people feeling like there is something that is wrong and something that is missing, know that you're not alone. Know that you're not alone. The family matters, and God has placed the church family there so that we can care and love for one another. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus modeled for us and commanded for us in John 13. He put it like this. This is the night that he washed the disciples' feet, okay? He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. How do you do that? Well, you do that by serving one another. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. You know, that's the family of God. And I invite you to be a participant in the family of God, to look around and to say, who has a need that I might be able to help with? Who might I be able to invite out? Who might I be able to pick up? Who might I be able to take a meal to? Who might I be able to pray for? There are so many different ways that we can be the family of God to one another. There are no perfect families. There are only sincere followers of Christ who humbly seek him, seeking him for wisdom, seeking him for grace, and prioritizing our families by bringing our best to our families. So over the course of the next number of weeks, we're going to look at a number of the issues that, that face us in family and what it is that God might be calling us to and how we might respond to him within our own context. I hope that you come with ears to hear and a heart that says, I want to bring my best to my family. So let's pray together. Father, I know that in the, this room, there are many people who have situations that are difficult. It's not always a blessing. It's not always easy. And maybe for some, they've given up and they feel like, ah, oh, there's just no hope. I would pray that you would place that hope back in their hearts today. I would pray that they would hear your voice speaking to them about the fact you are the God who redeems. You know us. You know us intimately. You know our needs. And so, Lord, we invite you, please, speak into our hearts and lives. 
because we want to uphold who you are, that you are good and family is good. And we want to aim towards that goal and bring our best. Help us to do so by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we leave today, I just want to highlight a couple of things. One is that we've been uh, reconnecting with Ruth and Naomi's mission after COVID. We used to go once a month from our church. Various people would form a team and go in and serve a meal. Uh, We're trying to get that started again on the second Monday of each month. We had a group go in in April. Our next group that we're looking to have go in is on May the 8th. Uh, You get there at 545 and you serve the food and then afterwards you clean up the food and you're done by about 715 in the evening. If that can work for you, uh, please email Alex in our office and we're going to start to form this team. What we're wanting to do is, you know, if you're a person who wants to serve every week or every month, that's great. But a lot of people are like, well, I'd like to do it once a year or twice a year. That's great. We'll put you on a rotation. But we need to know, would you like to go down to Ruth and Naomi's Mission, which is a drop-in food center where they serve a meal for about 100 people uh, each night of the week, and just our church is trying to cover off one night for Ruth and Naomi's. This is one of our tier one ministries that our church has supported for over 20 years. And uh, we, we want to re-engage with them again and give opportunity for people who want to serve in this way. So if you're one of those people, just email our office and we'll make sure you get all the details of how you can go and serve there. And then again, we'll do it in June and July and August and on into the, into the fall. The uh, next thing I want to say is a thank you to those who came out yesterday morning and spruced up all of our flower beds. Uh, They weeded, they hedged, they took all the garbage away, and then they added the bark mulch, and they made it look beautiful. So for those 25-ish people who came out yesterday, how about a round of applause for them for their hard work to make it look nice. And now as we go into our week, I pray that your heart is filled with hope. And might we go with the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.